0: everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. He has no original ideas for anything that he does because everything that he does, he accomplishes through manipulating what is true. God has a kingdom. God has a domain, a way of thinking. God has a system of values that makes up the family of God. And acceptance into the kingdom of God comes through humility, repentance, and ultimately trusting in Jesus Christ. But then Satan has a counterfeit of that. Satan has a kingdom, a domain, a system of values that promises acceptance from man through trusting in man and through trusting in man's system. Satan's system constantly contradicts itself by dividing and then calling for unity. It promises security and happiness and wealth And if you work really hard, maybe you'll achieve success, but it ends up costing you your life, your health, and it leaves you empty. And even if you don't achieve it, you still feel worthless and a failure because you haven't met up to that measure of what you thought you were supposed to. This kingdom, it convinces you that your desires are good because it tells you that you're good. That's the premise of this believing that your desires are good because you think internally you're good. So it if it feels good, do it. If you desire it, you should be allowed to have it. If it makes you happy, pursue it. And it elevates the wisdom of man above the wisdom of God. All of this, the purpose of all of this, is to take away and reduce the way we view God. And it's actually to elevate and deify the wisdom of man, man's feelings, man's thoughts, it shapes what society pushes, what society celebrates, what society allows. It is a system, and it is a cycle. And in prophetic language in Scripture, it's known as Babylon. It's called Babylon throughout the book of Revelation. And as you read those references to Babylon, understand that that's the type of system that's being described by John as he's writing these things down. But Babylon was also actually a a place. It was an actual domain. It was an actual kingdom that existed on the earth. Babylon was the capital city of Babylonia, which was a kingdom in ancient Mesopotamia between the 18th and 6th centuries B.C. It's now in modern-day Iraq. And this kingdom was much like a lot of the other dynasties. It expanded, it grew, and there was a lot of conquest that happened in those days where different groups were trying to take different pieces of land by military might and by conquest and occupying those various regions and redefining the borders of their domain. And Babylon was a very powerful Uh, group. It was a very, very powerful uh, nation. Babylon did not conquer her enemies, though, through destroying them. This is really interesting. If you look at the history of Babylon, Babylon didn't come in traditionally like most uh, kingdoms would try to come and overtake you. Most kingdoms, when they came in, they came in to plunder, they came in to kill, and to enslave. That's what they were all about. And you saw this all throughout history when people were trying to conquer other lands. They would come in with military might and they would kill and just decimate you, leave you with nothing, take everything away. That wasn't Babylon's way. Babylon didn't come in with force to take over her enemies. Here's what Babylon did. This was the, the, the strategy of Babylon that was very different from the other kingdoms and people who were trying to uh, make uh, military conquests to expand their territories. Babylon would come in, and yes, they would take over. They would perhaps cause fear, and they would take you captive, but they would actually select from among your group the young people, the good-looking people, the people who were influential, and they would actually give them positions in their kingdoms and they would actually take them through their schools and their training and their, their system of thought. They would subvert and infiltrate the culture of their enemies. Babylon was genius in doing this because this is still the same thing that this spirit or the system of Babylon does today. Where they would come in and take people like Daniel, for example. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we read about During the actual Babylonian uh, nation coming in, overtaking the people of Israel, taking them captive. These people were in captivity. The people of God were in captivity to Babylon. And Daniel was a teenager when all this happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were young people. And they were given positions of influence, they were treated well, they were educated. And they were taught the systems and the structure of Babylon because they were trying to erase the identity you had before and give you a new identity, give you a new sense of belief, give you a new culture. They wanted your culture to die off and to make you adhere to their culture, even to the point where the Babylonians changed the names of the Israelites. They wouldn't let them have Hebrew names, they wanted them to have Babylonian names. Actually, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are actually Babylonian names. Those aren't their, Israel, uh, their, their Jewish names. And so as you look at this, you can see this was the strategy of Babylon. They wanted to include, they wanted to kill the culture, they wanted to bring it all together. Babylon would indoctrinate her enemies to align with the structure of the system, the values, and the beliefs of her kingdom. And that is the same thing that the Babylon system wants to do today. The Babylon system is the pattern of this world's kingdom. That's what the book of Revelation calls it, and we can clearly see that it is the same strategy that Babylon is employing to this day. Babylon is driven by the spirit of Antichrist, And this is spoken about in 1 and 2 John. So if you want to read 1 and 2 John, he references it quite often and talks about this spirit of Antichrist. Satan's goal for this system, this kingdom, is the same goal that he's had since he was booted out of heaven. Let's look at this in Isaiah chapter 14 when Isaiah talks about the fall of Lucifer, or as we call him, Satan. Isaiah 14 in verse 12 through 14 says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High." This is the, the, the goal of this system. This is the goal of this spirit. This is the goal of Satan, is to exalt himself and to get himself to be viewed as higher and more powerful than God. And he does that through this system of Babylon that would get men to want to exalt their thinking above God's thinking to get them to exalt their ways above God's ways. It's the same idea that's reiterated in the New Testament as well. Over in Romans, you can turn there real quick. Romans chapter 1, as the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, the depravity of man, explaining their need for for, uh, a Savior. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes this, "'Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, "'nor gave thanks to Him, but they, came, they became futile in their thinking. "'And their foolish hearts were darkened. "'Claiming to be wise, they became fools, "'and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God "'for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. "'Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, "'to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, "'because they exchanged the truth about God.' for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. It's this same idea. You see, Paul's writing this in the New Testament. This is humanity's issue. This is their challenge. The same issue that we read about in Isaiah, that here Lucifer is saying, I'm going to exalt my throne above God's throne. I'm going to choose to do things my way instead of honoring and worshiping the supremacy of God and saying that he is above all. No, I want to be above him. And it's the same idea that Paul reiterates in Romans. He said, they knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God. Instead, they rather took the image of God and made it into an image like corruptible man. And they, instead of serving the Creator, they actually served their own creation. They were actually worshiping their own efforts. They were actually worshiping their own accomplishments. They were worshiping their own ideas and their own thoughts instead of submitting and trusting that God's ways are good. This is the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. Do you see this? Where here they're in the garden, God has provided for them everything they need, and God says take, eat, enjoy, be a part of all these beautiful things that I've created for you. Uh, uh, Take, tend for it, care for this. It's it's a gift to you. I want you to enjoy it and, and be a part of it. And then Satan says, well, what about that one thing God said you shouldn't do? God said they could do anything except this one thing. Don't Take of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Your eyes will be opened. You'll, 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 and, and here you see that Satan says, yeah, he, he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know right from wrong. He doesn't want you to be able to make those decisions for yourself. He just wants to be able to tell you what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil. You can decide for yourself. And so Adam and Eve took of that fruit. And it's the same problem that we saw with the rebellious heart of Satan in Isaiah, it's the same thing that we see in Romans. This has been the pattern. This is the same inspiration of the system of Babylon. It's, hey, eat the fruit, be like God, live forever, uh, be all-knowing, decide for yourself what is right, what is wrong, good or bad. It all sounds good, right? You can, you can kind of make up your own truth. And it's a counterfeit system. You can do your own thing, make your own rules And here's how people say it nowadays, because the language has changed. We don't necessarily use the language maybe of Paul or maybe of Lucifer, because we wouldn't want to be associated with that, but it still creeps into our hearts and our culture, and it still shows you that the Babylon system, driven by the spirit of Antichrist, is very active and alive. Because we hear people say, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. I'm going to live by my own truth. You live your truth, I'll live my truth. And they treat truth as if it is relative. It's something that you get to dictate. What? Who, who gave us the authority to think we could dictate truth? And, they, and here's what the spirit of Babylon does. It calls into question obvious truths and obvious things that God has set in creation and obvious orders of things that he has established. Here we live in a day and age where people are questioning, questioning their gender. They don't know if they're a boy or a girl. I don't mean to be crude, but look at the plumbing. You can figure it out. But they're calling into question things that God has established. God created man. God created female. And and He created these, these two genders. And now there's confusion. And now we're making up new genders because we're defying what God has established and we're deciding for ourselves how we want to be. It's the same idea. When you see normative things, the Bible says you can look at creation and it testifies to God. So even if you don't have a Bible, creation speaks to God. Creation points to Him. And for us to deny even the things in creation that are set in order is to deny the authority of God and to say, I choose to make it this way because I think I know better. And the worst thing of all is when people will twist Scripture to accomplish and serve those types of agendas. It's driven by the system of Babylon. This counterfeit kingdom, this system of Babylon is destined to fall. Praise God. The the Babylonian system is destined to fall. Let's look at this Because, man, I know we live in crazy times, and I know you may be anxious, but I want to help you to see that this system will fall. Go to Revelation chapter 18. We're going to go through Revelation chapter 18. I'm just going to kind of stop and kind of take a rest stop every now and again to talk about what we've just read. So we're going to go through chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. Let's start with verse 1, where John writes this, as Jesus has shown him. Revelation 18 and one, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Here we see that John hears a voice. And the first voice that John hears is an angel bringing condemnation to Babylon. He's exposing, Babylon has fallen. This cycle, this system that's been repeated throughout the ages, this system that we've been seeing just get more and more corrupt in our world and how man has elevated himself and how they bought into this, this lie, it has fallen. God has put an end to this thing. And now there is condemnation towards this system, this spirit, the fall of Babylon. Thank God this system is going to come to an end. And look at this. There's uh, unclean spirit, unclean birds, uh, undetestable beasts. He's saying it's affected everything. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's, it's permeated everything, even the animals it's permeated all the nations. They've all drunk wine. They've all partaken of of, of the passion of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality being that picture uh, of, yes, uh, definitely uh, sexual sin, but also just of fulfilling those lusts of the flesh and, and, and operating outside of the structure that God has put into place. And the kings of the earth, even the leaders They've committed immorality with Babylon. They've jumped into bed with Babylon. They've said, this is, this is what I want. I want to be a part of this because of what it promises me. They've all bought into the lie. They've all, as we would say in our day and age, they've all drank the Kool-Aid. Like they've all been a part of it. They've got drunk with wine. They've, they've committed sexual immorality with her, talking about Babylon. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her, her luxurious living. Because here's the thing. Babylon wants to promise riches, but it's not eternal riches. She wants to promise earthly riches, promising that earthly riches can satisfy. And so people buy into that lie. People buy into that idea. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on this earth where rust and and thief and moth can corrupt, steal, destroy. Instead, lay up your treasures in heaven where none of those things can happen. Those are the eternal things that you and I are to be investing in. But Babylon says, no, invest here, because here's all that matters. You need to be happy now. You deserve to be happy. Pursue luxurious living. Pursue riches. And, and, and people who pursue that, and that's their aim and goal in life, they're drinking the wine from the cup. Of this spirit of Babylon. They're partaking in it because they're buying the lie. That's, that's what that means. It's, it means that they're buying into the lie and they've, they've submitted to the system and they're trusting in that and they're pursuing that and that's their aim and that's their goal. And she's deceived kings. She's corrupted everything, all the nations. And now this condemnation has come and it has come to an end. Let's read verse 4 through 8. Then I heard another voice. So here's a second voice. From heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and no mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. The second voice is calling the church to be separate, to be called out. So this is the acknowledgement. The voice is acknowledging you've lived in this system of Babylon. You've been in the big thick of it, right? But you're not to drink of the pleasures of Babylon and partake in that thinking, that value system. You're not to be a part of that. You're called out. That's the thing that this second voice from heaven says. It says, lest you get corrupted, unless you take part of her sins. Come out of her, my people. Don't 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 share in this. You don't, she's gonna be plagued. Don't share in her plagues. Don't be a part of her sins because God has remembered her iniquities. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, you need to make sure that if she's going to do this, that, that she's just going to give herself to it and you're going to be so far removed from it because she's prideful, she's cocky. What does the spirit of Babylon say? She sits as a queen as she's glorified herself. She's lived in luxury, verse 7. She says in her heart, I said, as queen, I am no widow, even though she's lost tons and she's cost so many people so much. The most important thing, their eternal salvation. She says, I'm no widow. I'm still good. It reminds you of the same language from Revelation chapter three and verse 14, where Jesus confronts the church in Laodicea. You remember that confrontation? We talked about that a few weeks ago the confrontation that Jesus had with the church in Laodicea was that you think you're rich and that you don't need anything. But actually, I tell you, you're poor, you're blind, you're miserable, and you're naked, even though you think you've got everything you need. That's the spirit of Babylon that's still speaking, saying, I'm good. I'm not going to mourn. I still have everything together, even though everything is beginning to fall apart. Babylon says, no, it's all still good. I'm still the queen. I'm no widow. No mourning shall I ever see. She's, she's denying the reality of the judgment of God. And we see that spirit actively at work in people's lives. They, they, even though they, they, they may deal with so many challenges and so many things. We say, you need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Nope, I'm good. I don't need anything. The world it, it, it needs Jesus so much. And yet, she's still denying that she needs anything. She thinks she has everything she needs. He said, because of this, her plagues are going to come in a single day. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be burned up with fire. Because mighty is the Lord God who's judged her. God is judging her in that. Let's keep reading. Verse 9 through 19. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, they will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, and all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment. Weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with fine pearls. In a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all who trade is on the sea stood far off and cried as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid to waste. I think this one's interesting. This third voice that John hears is one of lamentation and mourning for Babylon, the great city. I think it's interesting. Remember, Babylon is a, is a representation of, of nations, saying this, this nation, this great city is going to burn. Some uh, a, a dispensational premillennialist would interpret this as perhaps maybe a nuclear warfare. And you could see the imagery of smoke and people standing far away because when nuclear warfare happens, you don't want to be close to the fallout of a nuclear bomb. So y- a, a premillennialist may say that that is an image of, of warfare. Uh, others may say that that would just be an image of a nation collapsing, or a nation falling, or or many nations falling under this great that are identified with this great spirit uh, of Babylon, where this thing has fallen, it's burned up with smoke, and people are standing back, and they're watching it burn, and they're mourning. This is the part that gets me, though. They're mourning. They're weeping over the fall of this great city, of this great nation, of this great superpower that they had put all their trust and hope in. It made them rich. It provided so many great opportunities for them. And when it was falling, they were standing far off going, wow, I never thought that it would fall. Wow. And they're mourning, but what are they mourning over for Babylon? They're mourning over the fact that, oh man, we got rich. There's not going to be any more gold. Not going to be any more chariots. There's not going to be any more horses. There, all the all the 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 wine, the myrrh, the frankincense, all the jewels, the pearls, the all the great clothes, all the great culture. They're mourning over the loss of luxury. They're mourning over the loss of what they used to have that they're not going to be able to have anymore because Babylon has fallen and it's not providing it for them anymore. They're not mourning over their sin. They're not weeping over their hand in it and how they've drunk from the wine of this uh, this, this this spirit of Antichrist and this Babylon system. They're not mourning over that. They're mourning because the stock market crashed. They're mourning because all the stuff shut down and you see the spirit prevalent in our world today because what happened? COVID-19 hits. We start shutting stuff down and people are mourning. They're afraid. They're upset. Why are they upset? Are they evaluating their their sin? Are Are they repenting and turning their hearts towards Jesus as the hope? No, they're mourning because they can't go to McDonald's. (laughs) They're mourning because the mall's shut down. They're mourning because businesses are closing. They're crying because of that, not over their sin. Folks, this is a pattern. This is not the first time this has happened. It has happened before. It is happening now, and it will happen again. And eventually, this system will come to a complete collapse. When people are mourning over the loss of their riches because this Babylon system begins to fall, that breaks my heart as a pastor. Breaks my heart as a Christian man, knowing that people would rather mourn over the loss of stuff than over their souls, than over their eternity. It just shows you how temporal minded we can be and how the Babylon system just gets you focused on you only got one shot at life make it count have all the fun you can go sow your wild oats go live your life we hear stuff like that said stupid stuff said what drives that type of language and that type of mentality the spirit of antichrist the system of Babylon that's what drives it selfish self glorifying and even at the end, I don't need anything, I'm fine, I'm good. No, you still need Jesus. Let's read verse 20. Because we need a good voice now. We've heard some bad voices. We've heard, a, we've heard a voice of condemnation, we've heard a voice calling us out to be separate as the church, and we've called a, heard a voice of lamentation and mourning over stuff and loss of riches. Verse 20. And the sound of harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpets will be heard in you no more. Your craftsmen of any craft will not be found in you anymore. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your great merchants were great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets of the saints, and all who had been slain on the earth. Once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. At that moment, people are going, God, you are so incredible. You are so huge. This fourth voice is a voice of celebration because they see how God has put this counterfeit kingdom to an end. How this thing has crumbled. It's not going to come back. You see, before, Babylon would come back right? Babylon would kind of die down. It would move from here to there. It would move from this country to that country. It would be Rome. It would be Medo-Persia. It would be uh, over in, in different areas of the world, Egypt. And as we've seen these superpowers move throughout the world, as we've seen this system and this cycle of power rise and fall, rise and fall, it's over it's not going to come back. That's what this prophecy is saying. He's saying that your trumpeters aren't going to be heard anymore. All your musicians, all your great musicians that influence the world, your musicians that were promoting messages, that were glorifying self and causing self-worship, and that were pointing people's hearts to the system of Babylon, your musicians are done. How big of a platform do musicians have in our world today? How much influence do they have? A ton. He said, they're done. It's not going to happen anymore. They have no more influence. They're not coming back. Because before, this would go through cycles. You would have different people influencing. All your craftsmen, all the people who, who brought wealth to your country because they were so skilled in, in trade and in craft and creating, all of your inventors, all your engineers who pointed people to great systems of wealth and great structures of wealth that d- d- drew people's hearts away from God, they're not going to create anymore. They're done. It's over. It's over they're not going to be found in you. The sound of the meal, those who are providing food, those who are, who are saying, we're important, we're the ones who you should be looking to, we're the ones who should be getting all of, all of these, the, the, these benefits because we're the providers of food. Nope, they're not going to provide food for you anymore. They're done. They're not coming back. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. You used to attract people because you were so bright. You were this, you were this beacon to the world. Nope, they're not going to be attracted to you anymore. You have no more lamp. You have no more light. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. All, all of the things where, 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 where you've heard this voice, where these things have been happening, it's over. The nations that were deceived by your sorcery, your merchants, it's all over. And then the very next thing that happens is hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise be to God, our great and powerful God. Even the 24 elders, the four living creatures that were encircling the throne, fell down and worshiped God. And saying, praise our God, all of his servants who fear him, small and great. The fourth voice is celebrating that the counterfeit system has come to an end. You see, church, we have a responsibility. We live in this world. And as Christ followers, we live in this world. But we need to recognize something. We are citizens of a different kingdom. Look over in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those things and those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and even now tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory is in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul says, we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of a different country. It's the same idea reiterated in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good, what's acceptable and perfect. He says, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. You're not of this world. You're a citizen of a different kingdom. You see, Babylon is driven by a spirit of antichrist. Babylon is driven by a spirit that wants to exalt man above Jesus. Babylon wants to have this way of thinking and valuing that points people to man as the solution, not Jesus. It's deceiving because it may look good and it may make sense to us and it may sound good and may have some logic, some human logic to it in our minds that we have somehow bought into. But if we're Christians, we need to remember we're in this world, we're not of this world. We're of a different system, we're of a different mindset, we're of a different value, and that is God's kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. Even though we may not be living in heaven at this moment, we are citizens. You know, I I don't know about you, I've been out of the country several times and I always feel a little odd when I'm out of the country. I just know I'm not home, right? Sometimes I feel that way when I'm out of the state and I may go visit a new place for the first time. And I remember when my wife and I took a motorcycle ride up to Niagara Falls. We went through Canada and I'd never been to Canada before and I'm seeing you know, kilometers on the road. I'm going, no, no, what does this mean? I hope I'm not going too fast. And, and, and the currency I didn't understand, I, I, I knew I was a stranger. And I was excited to be able to get back home when I crossed over. Back into the united states and i saw miles per hour (laughs) when i saw you know signs that i understood where those towns were and roads and systems i understood i was like oh i'm back and then it got even more familiar the closer i got to home the closer i got to home the more i got excited because i was in canada i enjoyed it i was able to have a good time with my wife but at the same time i knew that i wasn't a canadian and it was obvious I wasn't. And I think the same thing is true of us who are Christians. The closer we get to home, the more excited we should get. The closer we get to seeing Jesus face to face, we shouldn't be more fearful, we should be more excited. We should be just anticipating being with him. But when you're on this earth, when you're in this system, recognize you're a stranger in this land, I shouldn't be comfortable. I'm, I, I, I should look at things differently and go, what does that mean? I, I'm not going to participate in that. Babylon wants you to find your identity and your security. Babylon wants you to find your identity in military power and wealth and wisdom of its own system, of its own making. And this system is a spiritual system. It was driven by the Antichrist, and it has happened, it is happening, and it will happen again. But one day, as we read, it will come to an end. A counterfeit system is going to bring counterfeit solutions to the challenges we face. The system creates the problem and then offers its wisdom as a solution. Scripture says in Galatians 3:28 that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ. Christ is the one who changes the heart of a man. Christ is the one who takes away the distinctions that society puts on us to divide us. Society places us in socioeconomic groups that divide us based on how much money we make. Society wants to say some people are more important than others because of their distinctive differences, whether male or female. Society places people in political groups that says you're either voting this way or that way. Society places us in groups of people based on race. And man creates a system of division, creates a problem, and then wants to try to unite everyone with its own solution. And the system's set up to fail because it's corrupt and it's sinful, and there's no true solution outside of Christ. Man is attempting to do what only Christ can do, And that is to unify people from all walks of life. With man, this is impossible. But With Christ, all things are possible. And what the world needs most is a clear, convincing presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change a man's heart and his eternal destiny. Then and only then will we have the true ability to love one another with the love of God despite our differences. In Christ, we are better together. In Christ, our differences are minimized, and Christ unifies and brings us together. What the world needs now is the same thing the world has always needed, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is enough. Now, Babylon is alive and well today, and it wants to indoctrinate the culture with its ways. It wants to normalize sin. It tries to normalize sin by bringing compromise, by treating you or shaming you for not participating in what it celebrates. Just as in the days of Daniel where King Nebuchadnezzar demanded that the people bow down to a giant golden statue of himself every time the music would strike up and play. And if you didn't bow down, then you get thrown in the lion's den. Just as in our day, the system of Babylon would say, if you don't fly the rainbow flag during the month of June, you're full of hate. Babylon didn't come into the land of their enemies to kill. No, Babylon came in to take the land captive and strip you of your identity, to indoctrinate you with her philosophies and her values that are anti-Christ, that are anti-Scripture. And they're going to lead you away from purity, to lead you away from holiness, to lure you into further compromise, to lure you into further sin. That has been her tactic from day one, and it is a counterfeit system proverbs 14 and 12 says there is a way that seems right to a man but in the end there is death there's a way that seems right babylon tries to make you go well this is just right this just makes sense yeah there's a way seems right to man but if it's contrary to what god says it's going to lead to death because it's sin matthew 5 13 through 16 jesus said this you are the salt of the earth you're to be set apart. You're to be different. That's the call. Not to be a part of the system of Babylon, the counterfeit system. You're called out. First Peter chapter 2, 11-12 in the NIV reads like this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us on the day he returns he said you're living among pagans I get it but live in such a way where your good deeds where they're seeing your life and it actually is going to point their hearts to God because he's coming back and that when he comes back they they may glorify God and they may be welcomed in, that they may be people who were a, a part of the system that can find repentance and can find acceptance in God's family God has a kingdom God has a domain, a way of thinking a system of values that makes up the family of God and acceptance into the kingdom of God comes through humility comes through repentance and it comes ultimately through trusting in Jesus Christ reject the system of Babylon, reject the counterfeit, and submit and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. He says, as many as call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe today is the day you call out on the name of the Lord and you're saved. Maybe today is the day that you repent of drinking the wine of Babylon man, maybe you evaluate your heart and you go, wow, I've been, I've been participating in the system. I've been putting my trust and my hope in the wrong things. Or maybe you're a Christ follower and, and maybe you've been seduced over into trusting into the Babylon system. Maybe you've been seduced into thinking, oh, it's okay, I can do this and that. And you've got one foot in the world and you've got one foot in the family of God and you think you can do this nice balancing act. You, you're trusting in the fact that you think you're a good person when Jesus himself said no one is good, not one. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans says. So what do I do if I'm not good? I have to trust in the goodness of another. I have to submit and say, Lord, not my way, but your way. I ask you for forgiveness. I receive what you have done and how you've paid the price. And I want to be called a son or a daughter of God. I want to be welcomed into the family of God. And you trust that what Jesus did was sufficient to open that door for you. That's what you do. You trust and then you rest in that fact. And if you're a Christ follower and, and, and you are, are resting in Christ today, yes, rest in Christ, but live with a sense of urgency to live in light of eternity. Live with a sense of urgency because Babylon will come to an end. Praise God for that. But on the other hand, live in light of eternity and proclaim the gospel. Proclaim it to your family. Proclaim it to your coworkers, your friends. Share with them the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Share with them how you're hoping in Him. Let them see your light shine as the world may run to different things for safety, security, as man may offer up all these various solutions. Man thinks, let's just throw money at it, right? Let's fix it with more money. Let's fix the problems that man has with with more groups, with more conversations. Let's fix the, 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 what man has with more awareness, with, with, with more, with more uh, uh, billboards, with more uh, uh, highlighting these things. Let, let's just do that. No Man's issues are only going to be fixed with Jesus Christ. It's not more money. It's not more TV shows. It's not more changes to the system. The system is messed up. Man created the system. It's corrupted because man's trying to fix what he created. It's set up to fail. And now you're trying to fix something that is a heart issue. And only Jesus Christ can fix heart issues. So I want to ask you today to search your own heart. Where's your trust? Where's your hope? Have you put your faith in Christ? Because as you put your faith in Christ and as He changes your heart, He'll actually take out that heart that was sold out to Babylon. That heart that was, that was oriented anti-Christ. Even though you may not think you were against Christ, you, you were rebellious towards God. You're rebellious towards submitting to Christ. He'll take that rebellious heart out, that hard heart of stone, and put in, as Ezekiel says, a heart of flesh, a soft and pliable heart as he molds you and makes you and shapes you and gives you a new life and his Holy Spirit comes and transforms you and you receive the Holy Spirit who's making you new and now God's Spirit dwells in you. And he's changing the way you think, he's changing the way you act, changing the way you react, changing your priorities, changing your values and now your life begins to look much different because you're living for a different purpose. You're not living to worship and please and be accepted by man, You're, you're instead living to please God and God alone changes your trajectory, that changes your heart. And if your heart is changed, then you're going to think different. You're going to treat people differently. You're going to look at situations differently when things like COVID pop up. You're, you're going to remind yourself you're anchored in Christ. And, and you're not supposed to do this alone, which is why it's so important that we stay connected as followers of Jesus. This is the hour. This is the day. This is a great time for the church. It's a great time for the church tell people about Jesus for us to do a whole lot of good in the world that's going to make a difference in eternity I hope that it makes a difference here on the earth I want to see I want to see healing I want to see change I want those things just like the world wants those things but what's the pathway to seeing those things happen is it through our own effort or is it through Jesus getting a hold of people's hearts I'm going to trust in the Lord. That's for me and my house. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to share with our church family and many who may just be tuning in today and something gripped them. Maybe it was a divine appointment, Lord, where you are drawing them by your spirit pray people are saved today I pray people put their hope in Jesus today I pray that the church repents today and separates themselves from Babylon I pray that we live with a value of serving you and follow you do the heart work Lord continue it he who began a good work is faithful to complete it thank you for being the answer thank you for being the hope Thank you for exposing the lies of the enemy. Let us rest and trust in you and put all of our confidence, all of our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.